Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. Uh, I Today, you're going to be glad you tuned in because I've got two friends on the podcast. Um, one that you know well, Melinda Schmidt. She and I co-hosted a radio show for many years. And hi. you, uh-huh, and we, and you're on the podcast with me off and on with some regularity. So yay, gl- glad to have you back. Um, but the friend who's here, whose voice maybe you've not heard, or it's been a long time since you've heard is Marla Taviano. And if you don't follow her on social media, you might want to do that. Um, her, we're, well, I'm going to, we're going to get into her story actually, but first let me just say hi, Marla and welcome. Marla is an author and a poet, and I don't know how else you would introduce yourself. Maybe an influencer. Influencer for sure. (laughs) What else would you say? (laughs) Hi, Anita. Hi, Melinda. It's so good to see see you. Um, I would not call myself an influencer, maybe a book influencer. I do. I am a bookstagrammer. I have an Instagram account called White Girl Learning, and I do get free books from publishers, which my kids say, makes me an influencer. <laughs> so, Absolutely, it does. Um, but I don't get enough. I still buy hundreds of books a year. Um, yeah. Do you want me to jump in? I I want to tell my story, but I want to tell it quickly so that we can, I want to catch up with both of you. Um, <laughs> but I know we just have so much well, so let, let me say, and, and, here, yeah. here we were in Springfield, Ohio, how many years ago oh. doing a live event for Moody Radio and Midday Connection. And I guess before or after we went out to dinner with you and your ex, and mm-hmm. uh, you guys were full of dreams and hopes, and there's Anita and I, and we're having the best connection and conversation. And so doggone much has changed since since that day. I think you were the guest on our our program on WEEC, our taping and all of that. It's just kind of, don't you both think it's just kind of mind blowing to see the trajectory that we've all been on and how much change has occurred and who could ever have told us that, especially you, Marla, because you've had a lot of family change and all of that. And you've lived all around the world and blah, blah. It's kind of amazing. And, and I want to interject this thought that that these are, you know, we're three people here who have gone through a lot of changes, but it's a reminder to me that everyone listening has gone through all kinds of changes as well in your own life. And that may look similar. It may look very different than what we'll talk about today, but that's been happening everywhere. Yeah. I guess what's so surprising and Marla, you can speak to this is just the amount of faith change family life change, purpose change, um, geographic change. Could you ever have seen yourself in that booth where we ate, where you are now, Marla? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Not in a hundred million years. Um, yeah, that was very interesting because my 
my uncle is, is, was, is the general manager of a radio station there. And I believe you were coming to do a live taping that was kind of special and you needed a local author and that happened to, to be me. <laughs> and so we, we got to sit down. So we had dinner together and then we talked and I remember at the time, so I want to say, I, I don't really know. I want to say 2012, maybe 2012, but um, my husband at the time, now ex-husband had recently I had a heart attack at age 34 almost died we lost everything lost our house all this is happening and um, we had dreams to move to Cambodia to be missionaries um, humanitarian missionaries but that fell apart when he um, after his heart attack when he had three years of anxiety and panic attacks so a quick run through of my story I grew up in a in a Christian home um, super Christian. I was in church every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, um, did all the vacation Bible school, did all the stuff. And then just, I went to a Christian college, a small college in Ohio, then um, did all kinds of ministry things in churches, went on to write four books, um, which made me that local author. <laughs> they were conservative Christian books about marriage and sex and motherhood and pregnancy you know, telling young women, uh, I was like 30, <laughs> telling telling 20 year old women <laughs> how to be godly submissive wives. But I, it, I was funny, it was fresh. It was, it was yeah. like, yay, look at this. It was. Um, yeah, so, the, <laughs> so from there, so after my husband's heart attack, it, we ended up moving to Cambodia for five years. We lived there from uh, 2015 to 2020 moved back to the States in March of 2020. And instead of moving back to Ohio, we moved to South Carolina. And in that whole time, um, from about 2008 forward, that's when my faith started shifting. I started waking up to things like racism and white supremacy. I started questioning, why do I believe that my gay friends are going to hell and, and things like that? All of this, and, and you know, and so many people know, that's just how it is. So when they warn us of the slippery slope and the domino effect, those are real things. Um, but they're also scare tactics because I, I know now they didn't want us to know what I consider to be the truth. And so once you start unraveling and, and discovering the truth, you, you can't really, you can't really stop. And we you don't can't all end up know what place. you know. Exactly. And I haven't um, ended up anywhere necessarily. And I have poems that talk about that when people love to ask me, where have you landed? And I'm like, you know what? I decided not to land. I am a bird and I'm going to fly and landing will just be to catch my breath, to take a rest. <laughs> it's not going to be settling down necessarily. So we moved back to, um, to, to the States and live in South Carolina. That was March of 2020. In September of 2020, my husband left to go to Ohio to visit his family for a few days, came back and said he wanted a divorce. In January, 2021, I found out that he had been cheating for four years, for the five years that we lived in Cambodia. So I was a new single mom in a new state in the middle of the pandemic for teenagers slash young adults, my oldest daughter, I have three daughters. The oldest one is married to a Cambodian young man. Um, and it was, <laughs> it was, it was quite a ride. So all of these, um, everybody has their own pandemic story. And I know that mine is not even the most wild or the most upsetting. Um, and I had a lot of 
support. I live close to my sister and brother-in-law here. We're backdoor neighbors. Um, the family up in Ohio, um, some of them have disowned me or don't want much to do with me. Some of them still love me, even though we don't see eye to eye. And I picked my writing career back up. I've always been writing, um, but I decided to go with some poetry and write about my shifting faith. And, and that's what I've been doing and really resonates with people because like I said, there's so many of us that are just, I, I mean, people have been doing this for a long time. My 70 year old neighbor, I gave her a copy of my book after a conversation with her. I didn't talk to her for quite a while when we moved in because all these things had been happening in my life and I just didn't have the emotional bandwidth. And she said that she read my book. It's called Unbelieve, Poems on the Journey to Becoming a Heretic. She loved it. She reads it out loud to people in her family. She laughs and she's like, you know, all those things you're just now learning. I learned all that 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so there are, there, there are signs of, of hope. There are, um, I've met a lot of friends who are in their 60s and 70s who are um, opening their minds and, and waking up to things. And so I guess I've got to hold on to that hope for my own family and other people that I know and love. Well, yeah. I have a question. Your, your book then, this first one of late, is it chapter two, Marla? I don't know, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And believe, does that mean you don't believe anymore in God or like, you know, explain that to, you know, cause the, the title sort of lends to curiosity. Yeah, it does. And that was kind of the hope. And I couldn't decide if it was going to lend to curiosity or lend to people throwing it across the room or not buying it. <laughs> but I did put the word heretic on the cover uh, intentionally because I've had people call me a heretic for different reasons, wildly different reasons, some that I, are kind of laughable and others are more understandable. But um, I, I won't say that I unbelieve all of it, but there are some things I unbelieve. Like I have, un I unbelieve hell. Like I don't believe that um, people who don't ask Jesus into their heart are going to spend eternity in actual flames being burned alive and never die, um, eternal torment. I don't believe in that anymore. And a lot of the things I've unbelieved are based in scripture, like things that I've read in the Bible and I've realized that I was reading them incorrectly or reading them through my own white Western lens, things like that. So my answer to people when they ask me, what do you believe and what do you not believe is very much, I don't know. So I guess the technical term for that would be agnostic, um, not knowing. What I also think now is that anyone who tells me, well, I know this for certain and this for certain and this for certain and this for certain, and it has anything to do with God or heaven or hell, I don't believe them. I don't believe that you can know something for certain when you haven't seen it, you haven't been there, you haven't talked to God necessarily. I mean, we can talk to God, but that you haven't met God on a mountain or you're just reading words that other people said. So there are a lot of things I do believe in, but sometimes that shifts and changes. And I think the most important thing is that I am uncomfortable. I'm more comfortable in the uncertainty 
-hmm. I'm more accepting of it and realizing that it's been that way all the time. I just spent a whole lot of energy trying to convince myself and other people that I was absolutely certain and absolutely Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you see yourself, where do you see yourself? Are you in a transition? Do you have an aspiration about God? Do you, you know, what, what's your, because you, you talk a lot about God now. It's interesting. You you talk a lot about God (laughs) that has not changed since we met you, you know, over a decade ago. It's just how you speak of God is different. Your experience is different. So where, where do you frame where you are now? Cause you know, we want to run a joke. (laughs) Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. There's a running joke between me and several of my friends who are Christians and a couple of them are pastors or theologians or in seminary. And they will say things like, I I'm sorry, Marla, but I see God in you. <laughs> like I, and they'll apologize because <laughs> they know from some of my poems that God and I are on a break. Like I don't really I'm kind of mad at God or I don't know what I think about God. Um, but so my kids have said to me, isn't it kind of funny, mom, that you quit God and then now people can see God in you. And one of my friends who his name is Trey and he's a pastor and I'm helping him with his new book that's coming out. It's called Theologizing Bigger, which is going to be really great. But um, he talks about love as the commitment to wholeness. And Mm -hmm. I have just taken that and I love it so much because what a lot of Christians have told me, um, my sister who disowned me, not the one who lives here by me, she would say, sometimes love feels like hate. And -hmm. what she would mean is if you tell someone who is gay that they're going to hell, that might feel like hate to them, but you're saving them from hell. So it's actually Mm -hmm. loving. And I like the definition of love, that love is a, the commitment to wholeness, That's that I beautiful. want people to be whole. Mm-hmm. I want them to be who they are, who they, who they were created to be, whether I believe in an actual creation account or not. And so I, I think of God in, I don't know, I do struggle with this because I want to believe that if I need something or I want protected or I want my kids protected, I want to believe that there is a divine presence that is not only completely good, but is all powerful. And if I pray, please protect my children, that God will protect my children against all odds or or whatever. But I've just seen so much in this country and friends' lives, not really even in my own life, but where like friends of mine, their, their young daughter, who wasn't even two, died just mysteriously. And I think, how, how does a good God who can stop that from happening not stop that from happening? And as a Christian, I just explained all that away. God's ways are higher, blah, 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 on and on. That's probably the biggest thing that I cannot um, figure out or make sense of because then what's the point (laughs) of praying for my kids' safety if my friends were praying for their daughter's safety and and she didn't live or kids out on the street are getting shot or police brutality, all these different things that are happening and God is not stepping in. So what is the point of a God who has power and doesn't use it for good? Yeah. Um, 
but I, I know for me that I was against a lot of things as a Christian, and now I'm against systems that are oppressing people. I'm not against, look, people tell me your beliefs are hurting God. I'm like, you know what? (laughs) I think God can handle this on God's own. It's a hard question to answer. I know that here where we live in an apartment complex in California, um, a couple days ago, um, a neighbor's son took his life in a garage Mm. in here. And I sat with the mother yesterday a couple times, and that's what she's asking. She said, this is the plan. This is God created my son for, you know, for this. And these are, these are the big questions. And I think that people are showing a lot of bravery these days and asking them. And I think having space to hear those questions is a great gift to those people. And it's, you know, it's everyone's journey to figure out as well. But I think something that is shifting, and I think of us, and I keep saying in that booth, having dinner that night (laughs) is um, an an openness to the questions. And, you know, we hear a lot about deconstruction. There can be fear about deconstruction of faith. There can be neutrality there. You know, it's, it's bothersome to some people, others. It's not, it's can be fearful because really what we're talking about, I think is evangelicalism and Protestantism maybe in America. And there are questions and that can feel very threatening. And it's really pitted people combined with politics and COVID and everything else that was going on. Um, It's pitted people against each other. And you know, we all remember Phyllis Tickle saying every 500 years, you know, the church asks questions, we redo <laughs> ourselves. And yeah. the last time was the Reformation. We're at that point again. And, and here we are. And um, I know you've experienced it firsthand with your family. And, you know, people are different places on this spectrum of rethinking faith. But I think we're definitely in a transition. Don't you see that, Marla, that, you know, what's going to... I don't know if there's going to be a place to end end or land, but things are changing. Yeah. And the biggest thing for me um, was going from a place of believing that I had all the answers and that I was on the good team. And I don't know if you've seen the show, the good place (laughs) where people think they're in the good place and I'll go ahead and spoil it since it's been out for years, people could have watched it by now, but they're actually in the bad place. (laughs) And not that Christianity is bad, but historically, and, and in this country, um, Christians have been right there at the forefront of a lot of oppression. Mm. And people came to this country, white people from Europe came to this country to find freedom, religious freedom included, and went on to drive out and in many cases murder the native peoples who already inhabited this land took it over, then brought Africans from the continent of Africa over to do all their labor for them for free. So we've got Native American genocide, we've got um, enslavement of Africans, and it just goes on and on and on to this present day of all of these atrocities. And I'm realizing that when I, I talked about sin in the past, it was this thing of, oh, you don't wanna hurt God, you don't wanna do something bad that it says in the Bible not to do. When sins are being committed against people 
and in God's name often. And that is where the big shift was for me. And that is why I currently cannot go to church. I know there are some good churches. I know there are some loving churches, inclusive churches, kind people. I'm friends with a bunch of people who lead these churches, but I just, I can't do it. And I talk about, I have a poem about where it feels like crossing the picket line. Like, I feel like if I'm going to help all of these people, my queer friends, Muslim friends, immigrant friends, black friends, the list goes on. If I'm to help them and be an advocate for them, then how can I do that on the side of the, the people who are oppressing them or telling them they're going to hell or not believing that racism is real and all of these things. So that's been the shift for me and how I view sin, how I view love. And I don't know how God fits into all of that. Mm. And, um, well, it seems like this is a time of like cleaning house in some ways. And, and I think that, you know, Phyllis Tickle's comment fits in there as well. It's what Martin Luther was all about. I mean, he bucked the Catholic church. Um, I remember when I was on Moody radio and I said that Martin Luther was a Catholic and I got hauled into the executive vice president's <laughs> office. Because, of course oh, you did. No, Ohio <laughs> heard that. And I said, but it's true. Well, uh, I can't say that. So anyway, cleaning house, I know, you know, again, we're in this booth having dinner together years ago. I, I know that Anita, you and I have, um, you know, shifted as well. And it was a, a journey in bits for us. I could, yeah. I've, I've started a list on my phone of the voices that started uh, being heard. I started to hear their voices and went, wait a minute. And slowly we didn't really fit in even where we worked, Anita, because, you know, we were going contrary to, to what the rules were about faith and, um, it's interesting to see the kind and gentle voices that there were along the way, you know, starting from Rachel Held Evans and yeah. Scott McKnight and others, just in little bits, something starts turning a different light on and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. And mm-hmm. wow. I mean, that can get you right in here, right in your heart. You know, you're talking about an institution and yeah. a way of life and how we connected even recently was um, I responded to a poem. I'm on your email blast and it was mm-hmm. about finding voice. And I realized as I read your poem about finding your voice over the last years, that as I have found my voice more and more, it meant that I had to look at my evangelicalism and I had mm-hmm. to look at faith. And I never would have believed that I, you know, I was used to the women's movement about empowerment and back in the burn your bra days and all the rest of it, equal rights yeah. amendment. God forbid, of course, back then. <laughs> um, but uh, I had to not only look at it culturally, but faith-wise. And I had to look at what I had been taught, what is being taught. And, you know, it's it was not long after that period where we were connecting with you. And within years, we were let go from our position at Moody Radio, I, I believe in some right. ways, <laughs> because of our messaging. I want to yeah. take it back earlier i like i guess as i listen to this conversation unfold i where it takes me is and, and marla you've already talked about this um but the the teaching that we grew up with that was so rigid and black and white and yeah. put god in a very small box and when i started opening my mind to the god who is mystery 
mm-hmm. things began to yeah. change. When my view of God expanded, mm-hmm. that's yeah. when so much began to change. And I feel like agree, even disillusionment, yeah. disappointment, all of those things, uh, they, I feel like that all has come on the cusp of rigid teaching that has, has put God in such a box that we, we don't even know where to go with that other than just run away from it. I and, always but, remember you know, a poem your husband, Mike sent us, oh, not a poem, I'm sorry, a cartoon by the yeah. naked pastor. Oh yes, And it showed somebody, <laughs> uh, somebody talking to another person saying, oh, great. You've come to Christ now get in the box. Yes. Right. <laughs> got a box there. I was like, now get in the box. And yeah. I never, for, yeah. I mean, that was another one of those little scribbles where I was yeah. like, oh boy, that really is what happens. Yeah. Yeah. The naked pastor endorsed my book. So there's, yeah. Well, again, I want to say, I feel like some of this and I don't know what people think who are listening, but, um, can be very scary and unsettling, especially if you've, you're in an age demographic where you've been in evangelicalism or Protestant faith or Catholic faith, whatever God faith for a long time. And it's, it's risky. It can actually have a physical, you know, response inside to Mm -hmm. the threat of losing sometimes a warm memoried experience of faith. Because those yeah. church suppers, the high school youth group, the, the, the family atmosphere and all the rest. Uh, but I would say for me, um, yes, Anita, to what you said about mystery, when I started opening up to mystery, um, kind of those rules fell off, but God got bigger and expanded. Yeah. And part of that yeah. was my foray into nature as well. Yeah. And uh, for me, I kind of had to realign with God all over again back in 2015. And we were in Northern Wisconsin. I saw the Milky Way and I was like, okay, I don't know what that is, but I'm hooking my cart to that person, (laughs) you know, cause I can't, but the more I've gotten into nature and its mysteries, I see the first language of God and it's, it's kind of all there. Yeah. It's all there. I mean, that's becoming more my proof text, not more my proof text, but an important one for faith in God, I would say. You mentioned Rachel Held Evans and she, um, I dedicated my first book Unbelieved to her. And I remember the first time I had read some things, her blog posts and stuff, and then I bought her book, but I opened it and then slammed it shut and couldn't read it because mm-hmm. it terrified me. Right. And we were so much alike. We were so zealous and on fire for Jesus. And I was like, if she is asking these questions and changing her mind, then I'm in trouble because she is smart and she is the most committed Christian I know. Other people, I was not afraid of. I was like, they're just trying to get me to mess up. They, they're all, they're what playing devil's advocate or whatever, but she was different. And when I did read it, what got me to read it was I thought to myself, listen, if you, if she's wrong, then great, then read her book and she's wrong and you can stay right Mm. and everything's fine. Mm but what if she's not wrong? Like, what am I so afraid of? And that's what I tell people. I get the fear, but the question, what are you afraid of? Mm. I'm afraid I might be wrong. Well, don't you want to know that? Mm. What if you've been wrong this whole time? How about you, you learn all this, you listen, you open your mind. And then if all of that is wrong and you've been right all along, 
yay, <laughs> great. But the problem is that it's very rare that if you truly, truly open up your mind, um, then you're going to find out that you were wrong. And I, I remember as a kid hearing, don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out. Like that's what the Christians would say. <laughs> like being open-minded was a very, very bad thing. You had to stay closed-minded. Mm -hmm. Well, your brains don't fall out, but you, you learn things in your brain and then you have to, there's cognitive dissonance and then you have to readjust. And then you have to ask, why did I believe this? Then you have to look at who taught you that and what their motivation might have been. What's their motivation for wanting you to submit to your husband and submit to your pastor and tied to your church and da, da, da. like, what's that motivation? Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing it play out in the political realm where I, and I know Anita, you've talked before about not getting political, but then things are political and, and Mike's rumblings, which it, you can't not be political because people's lives and bodies and souls are at stake here because people are being harmed by laws and policies and all of that. And so, so yeah, it's just, it's, what I appreciate yeah. about this conversation and just hearing you, you talk about this, uh, Marla just now is I hear the word expansion, that yeah. things get bigger. And mm -hmm. I think there's a bunch of us that are recognizing things got small and controlled about our faith. But when Jesus mm -hmm. came to the gospels, the lid blew off. He was like, first yes. of all, you leaders, you're out, <laughs> you're yeah. out. And these little people are in the weary are in the sick, the oppressed, the blind, the, you know, all, all of these people, the children, women, uh, this blew the lid off and things got bigger, but sure enough, we love institutions. So what happened? Yeah we institutionalized yeah. faith. And I think right now it's an opportunity to, to think about expansion is like, I, I love what you say, read it. If you're, if you still think you're right and they're wrong, okay, then you can be assured, but you might find out that you've been wrong, but even with expansion, you know, do you want to be open to that? Do you want to know God in a bigger way? Cause I sure feel like I have man alive. <laughs> um, but it's involved more, like you said, Anita, lining up with mystery and being willing to ask questions and not putting my hope in institutions for sure. Holding um, things loosely. I yeah. think we really have lived a lot of our lives with clenched fists. Mm -hmm. What does it look to hold these things more loosely and to have in all realms of life, you know, you, Marley, you just mentioned the political to have conversations. Now I recognize not everyone's willing to have mm -hmm. conversations. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand that, but who am I going to be? What am I, how am I going to walk forward in the, the new thoughts, the new, um, shifts that have transpired in my own life, you know, it, and what do we want? Like mm -hmm. Marla, you talked early about love as a commitment to wholeness. I think of the Bible says, God is love. So whenever I hear the word love, I put God in there and see if it works. <laughs> you know, God is committed mm -hmm. to wholeness and wholeness is shalom and wholeness mm -hmm. is not mm -hmm. peace. The actual definition is completeness, wholeness, freedom yeah. from war. When you look up the definition of shalom, it's not just a greeting. It's hugely rich. Flourishing. Uh, about wholeness. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, it, you know, it's so interesting to have a conversation about 
um, stepping away from faith. And yet I hear this other opportunity to step into it more deeply and expansively. And it falls in a different place for each person, what their definition, I suppose, of expansion is. And what you were talking about, we talked about earlier, our voices and how our voices have changed and we're finding our voice. And I'm realizing so much, I'm looking back through, I have 62 journals <laughs> and then those four books and other things. So I have a very um, extensive record of all the things I used to say and think and believe. And it's, it's very cringy, um, but it's really good too. And I am finding some things that I wrote back in a time when I believed a lot of things I don't believe now. And I still was that same person. I still had that same heart. I believe um, not that I was without fault or didn't do harm as a Christian, because I now see that I did. But I believe for the most part, my heart was in the right place. I, I very much loved people and I very much wanted them to go to heaven and not hell. And the way that I went about that was horrible sometimes. And the things that I believed and the things I told women and their marriages and you need to submit. And just because that's how it was told to me. And so that's what I believed. And now I'm thinking like the things that I'm learning now, wait a minute, what makes men superior to women? Why are we not on equal footing and equal mutual partnership? What's going on? <laughs> and there's just so much. Madeline Engel talks about how you, she loves, she's still all the ages she has ever been, she mm -hmm, says, because mm -hmm. she's, she's still that person. And so I am learning to love the, the young woman who wrote from blushing bride to wedded wife <laughs> about marriage. And I, I can see her back there and it is, it's not about throwing her out. It's mm -hmm. about becoming who I am and becoming whole. And as far as Christianity goes, my second book, Jaded, the, the subtitle is long. It's a poetic reckoning with white evangelical Christian indoctrination. And I put all of those labels on there. Growing up and all the way up until a few years ago, I would have just called myself a Christian, mm. the right kind of Christian. <laughs> I didn't know about all the labels. And so now... I cannot throw out Christianity. I can only throw out white evangelical Christianity because I'm seeing now that that is a very specific brand of Christianity uh -huh. that I adhered to. Mm -hmm. And I can throw out, I'm pretty much throwing all of that out. Anything mm -hmm. that was a part of that that I'm keeping is also a part of some other faiths and, and things like that. And you talked about Jesus and the way that he was expansive. And I am almost, I'm, I'm shocked by how, how many Christians are in opposition to so many things that Jesus literally spoke mm -hmm. <laughs> and said that he was for that. Mm -hmm. And when people whine about social justice and it's like, um, <laughs> do we know what social justice means? Do we know what Jesus says or how the, the word righteousness in the Bible literally means social justice. It means making everything right and fair mm -hmm everyone. <laughs> We've taken righteousness to mean you don't cuss, you don't this, you don't that, you don't that. That's not even actually what it means. And so I can dive deep into the Bible and into Greek and Hebrew and all of this stuff. And I can actually stick to the Bible closer than someone who's reading it literally, because they're reading 
it in a different culture, in a different time, in a different language. I learned to speak another language when we lived in Cambodia. Things do not translate well from culture to culture, from language to language. And I use this example all the time. It's getting old, but it's the, my Khmer tutor, Khmer is the Cambodian language. She's 16 and we're reading together. I'm reading in Khmer, she's reading in English. And she asks me what circumcision is. Cause we get to this in the new Testament. And I have to ask my daughter for these like terminology that I do not know how to say in Khmer. Well, there is no circumcision in Cambodia. They do not circumcise their children. Mm-hmm. And so the, the literal translation translation in the Bible, in the Khmer Bible says cut skin. That's it. Cut skin. Mm. No idea where the skin, (laughs) where the skin is or what it means. And that's what it says. There's no way for them to know what it really means unless they knew someone Jewish or American or whatever, who could explain circumcision to them. Do we have any idea how many things there are that we just don't get? That is so big for me too. And as When I read the Bible now, I go into the Jewish translation, Hebrew mm-hmm. translation, or, you know, I, I look up the, the Jewish Bible, it's called, or I look up a different version. It is called for, you know, we can't exactly what you're saying. It's seeing the Bible and faith through Western eyes. And yeah. um, I learn a lot just by, you know, going to these other versions, but especially the Hebrew Bible and so forth. Um, that's that's the real deal. That's right verbatim, right out of it, out of, uh, out of scripture. And so, yes, to your point, it's, I learned that in grad school at, or we talked about it a lot, uh, at, at Wheaton grad school, just, you know, seeing the Bible and faith through Western eyes is a huge deal. And some people don't want to think about that because they're really happy with how it's worked out for them. <laughs> To be yeah. a Western Christian, but <laughs> no. to be African or Indian or, you know, East Indian or European or Asian, uh, not so much. And it's, I'm always amazed at how many people think that, you know, we've got the corner on it because we're Western and mm-hmm. actually American and we figured it all out. And our translators, whoever they were on the committee did the job right. But again, I guess I would sum up today's conversation as one of just encouragement to ask questions and open up and see what's there. See if God is bigger, smaller to you, whatever. There's a host of things, you know, that can be um, discovered on that path. And it's not as scary and you will survive. You know, it, it might be scary, but you will survive. It is scary. I was going <laughs> to say, God's it's, stuff. It's, it is scary. I never tell people that it's not scary. And I never tell people that it won't hurt and that you're not going to lose things. Like, All of those things are absolutely true and going to happen to you. And I think that's part of why when I wrote my book for young wives, I wanted to encourage them that you thought marriage is going to be amazing. And it's a little bit hard. And you're afraid to admit that because you think you're the only one who is Mm -hmm. struggling as a newlywed. You think everybody else's marriage and sex life and all this is perfect. And so that was a huge encouragement to women. So that's kind of been my thing is to tell the truth so that people don't feel alone. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did in Unbelieve and Jaded. I told my truth and I want people to, to not feel alone. Are you going to lose things? Yes, 
Are you going to gain things? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be scary? Yes. Is it freeing and exciting on the other side of it? Yes. Yes. And yes. And yes, both. Mm -hmm. And, and I realized that I've been kind of living this out loud online for a long time. So I've met a lot of people who are in this similar situation and I don't feel alone at all, but I have people come to me and say, literally, Marla, you are the only person I can talk mm -hmm. to about this. Mm -hmm. The only person, nobody else. I believe it. Oh, I definitely circle. believe it. Yeah. And so that's why I, I wrote these books so that people can feel less alone. And I had a friend who was scared to read one of my books. Her husband has cancer. She's like, if you don't believe in heaven, I don't think I can read this. I have to believe in heaven. And I told her, listen, I want to believe in heaven too. My greatest anxiety, I'm getting ready to go on a trip for 10 days tomorrow, leaving my kids. And I, I'm terrified that I will die or they will die. And if there's no heaven, what are we going to do? And I want there to be a heaven. So I tell people, believe whatever you want, as long as it's not harming somebody else. If you believe that this person who doesn't believe the same list of things you do is going to die and burn forever in hell, that's a harmful belief. If you believe there's a heaven where you get to go and see your kids again, that is not a harmful belief. Like there are things that are, we're not all going to believe the same. We don't think the same. We don't like the same things. We don't do the same things. And well, I don't think we have to believe the same. And I would say to people that are like horrified, just just look at all the different denominations. And, you know, you think this is a big yeah. deal of not believing this. Yeah. You know, every denomination's got some goofy little thing. That's why they split off from the other people because, no, we don't think the same thing. And, and I would like 45,000 denominations. Oh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and I would say, again, look at nature. It freaks us out mm -hmm. at the at what these, um, you know, what's being found, the telescopes out in space. It's suffocating. It's like, oh my gosh, do we realize that we're like a pinhead or less mm -hmm. in the entire universe? Mystery mm -hmm. is frightening. And actually, mm -hmm. I think our faith should be frightening. I think it should be scary. Mm -hmm. And when the Bible talks about fearing God, I'm like, yeah, you, I guess so. And I say fear in the, in the form of like reverence awe. or awe. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. like, look, look at the stars, look at the sky, look at science. I, I often feel like NASA and all the rest of it is, you know, they're just feeding us, um, you know, information about, about God. I mean, it's, it's right there. <laughs> this is the world. If you believe that this was, uh, you know, cr a created world by God, it's all about mystery and not having all the answers and being in awe. And I personally, I think that's how we should feel. I think it should be that way. Well, and I think, probably a good way to wrap it up is to say that um, if nothing else, and hopefully there's a lot more, uh, our conversation today has elicited uh, either head nods or uh, agree agreement thoughts or disagreement thoughts or whatever the questions, doubts, whatever. But hopefully, as Marla has said, you have this sense that you're not alone in this journey. Mm -hmm. You're in good company. Yeah. Well, we've all expressed uh, thoughts mm -hmm. about faith differently today. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, as usual in the show notes, I'll put links to um, Marla's books, uh, our, the guest books, and uh, encourage you to check those out and dig a little deeper, ask more questions. And, and um, 
I think you'll really enjoy and appreciate her way of writing her voice, uh, even as you're maybe developing your own. So big thanks, Marla, for good being to see what, you again, Marla. Yes. You too. Thank you. Uh, Have a good and safe much. trip. Yes, <laughs> I will. I will. That's great. <laughs> Melinda, thanks to you as well. Uh, as always, great to have you here as a conversation partner. Marla Taviano and Melinda Schmidt. And thanks for downloading the podcast. And as always, I say, keep the conversation going.